0: Welcome to the Veterans Building, the Green Room of the Veterans Building in San Francisco. This is Wednesday, February 2nd, 2011. I'm Mary Wood for the San Francisco Ballet Center for Dance Education, and I'm so happy to be here with you for this first Points of View program of San Francisco Ballet's 78th repertory season. These Points of View programs, along with the Meet the Artist interviews that take place over in the Opera House and other educational programming are produced by San Francisco Ballet's Center for Dance Education, directed by Charles Chip McNeil, and administered by Adult Education Coordinator Cecilia Beam, who is our on-the-spot person. Um, As many of you know... These programs are recorded for podcasting and then are posted um, fairly quickly, I understand, these days, on the ballet's website, sfballet.org. So I encourage you to go to the website, catch the podcasts of programs you may have missed, repeat one that you enjoyed. And then lots of other really interesting information on the website that I know you'll enjoy, and I hope that all of you know how to find all of that. If you don't, be sure you ask one of us, and we can help you. We have um, an additional feature on the website that I want to call your attention to, and that is called Studio 455, and that's a blog... I've just mastered Facebook, so I'm not so much into the blog thing. However, it's absolutely fascinating, and dancers and artistic staff uh, and even volunteers at the ballet have posted articles on the blog, and it's just a wonderful behind-the-scenes look at the life of the company. We have one additional feature this year for our Points of View programs, and that is assisted listening devices. So if any of you have felt that over the years you've struggled with our sound system, we really have done the best we can. But you might want to check in with the staff at the back when you come in for one of those devices. They will ask you for a little piece of collateral um, ID. So um, then you just return it to them at the end of the program. So I want to... uh, Say my delight in seeing familiar faces and old friends, and to say another warm welcome to newcomers, and of course to those who are listening to this at a later date on a podcast. It's always informative, it's always entertaining and delightful, and it's always really a wonderful opportunity listen to the insights of our guest for this evening, my companion. And so at this time, I'd like to invite Assistant to the Artistic Director and Ballet Master Ricardo Bustamante to join me. Yes, good evening. Please silence all pagers and other audio devices. <laughs> I, Many of you, of course, are very familiar with Ricardo. We've had wonderful experiences over times past, and um, I hope that those of you who don't know Ricardo as well as we do. Uh, we'll be enjoying listening to him this evening and then look forward to times in the future. Um, thumbnail sketch, the bullet points of your experience with San Francisco, long, deep experience, and your uh, worldwide experience uh, in the ballet world. So give us just a snapshot.
1: Sorry if all of you, I get to hear it again from last year, but... Um, Uh, I was uh, training in Medellin, Colombia and San Francisco Ballet went to Colombia to dance and Michael Smu and Lou Christensen artistic directors then invited me to come and be in the school. I spent five months then I went into the company for five and a half years. Then uh, Baryshnikov invited me to go to American Ballet Theatre where I stayed there for nine years uh, as a principal dancer. Um, Then um, I left for Europe to dance with uh, several European companies and after I retired, I um, uh, held invited me to come and be a teacher for the school where I taught for four years and where I began to choreograph, um, I did uh, four different pieces for the school. And uh, from that teaching experience and producing ballets, I got an invitation to become Artistic Director of Teatro Colon in Buenos Aires, where I was uh, there in 98 and 99. And then after that, I went to the neighboring country, to Chile, to Santiago de Chile, and I directed the national company there for three years, 2002, 2003. And after my tenure there was finished, then Helgi invited me to come back as a ballet master. And as in last year, I became uh, one of his assistants to the artistic director.
0: That's an amazingly packed career. And you're only in mid-career. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. <laughs> um, a couple of things, I, when we read about you in the program, we do read that you're assistant to the artistic director, which I'd like to just maybe get a taste of what that really means, especially since it's been a year now and how is it wearing. And then the other thing is, I believe, aren't you listed now as a principal character dancer?
1: Uh, so, yes, I am. Yeah, it's so. one of my duties inside the company. So I wear three hats and do a multitask every single day. So being an assistant to the artistic director, it's it's quite a um, a global job to do. Um, Helgi is the head of the company, and um, in all of the artistic matters, um, there's lots to do with, to coordinate, people to think about, schedules to organize, um, roles to cast... Uh, custom fittings, um, conversations about somebody's development and enthusiasm or lack of, and um, new artists into the company, Um, there is a lot of uh, psychology that needs to be applied and within conversations uh, about uh, the different dancers, um, we try to be up to date with what is going on with them, um, you know, from being happy to being frustrated. Which we experience every single day. Um, we are in a career where we look for absolute beauty and absolute perfection. So every day is a bit of a challenge to be perfect. <laughs> so um, it requires a lot of a lot of uh, time being in the studio and the theater, uh, a lot of uh, being prepared. Helgi might just at one point say. Uh, theme and variations, why do we talk about theme and variations? Where is the casting and um, who is in it? And let's look at, okay, uh, that's program six or program four and what happens after and how do we coordinate so that these people that are being used on this program, how do they, fo- they go into the next program and let's, let's, add, let's find out how many hours do we have and, and how much have they learned, how long will it take it to learn? Um, and then there's the possibilities of giving chance, chances and developing the artists of the future, and how much do we, t- how much time do we have to nurture all these people? So, and there's always press, and there's always board um, directors, and there's always artis- artistic uh, staff meetings, and there is always opera house meetings on you know what are we going to do and how are we going to do it, as far as technical and orchestra rehearsals. Um, it's endless. It's endless. Um, it's exhausting. We have, we have the, the guests from all over the world um, who speak many different languages, um, may not speak, even speak English and then the translation and then the accommodating and then trying to explain to them on how we work. We work at a very fast pace in comparison how European um, companies work and our dances are also tried to be spared overworking so uh, we have to be very efficient with the limited limited amount of time that we have and um, then occasionally you know, we get to dine together and and talk about pleasantries and not work it's very rare but um, it's always a delight to be an assistant to the artistic director
0: say just a word or two about that third hat the character dancer so we I think it's just so special that we get to continue to see you perform. Thank you, Mary. Um,
1: being an artist and a performing at that is always something that you would always carry with and um, I'm quite passionate about the performing art that we do and um, I think it's of great importance for me to go through the humbling experience of learning a role, uh, facing the challenge, daring to go out there and you know, it's a kind of balancing your own act. Um, as I am a ballet master for the company, and I'm always re- um, asking a lot about every single person I work with, I'm um, known for being pretty demanding. Um, uh, we like very high standards of dancing, so, and when you're preparing a role, then you remember what it takes to prepare, and the insecurities, and the, and the difficulty to learn something that you're not familiar with, or the familiarity you have with something, and all of a sudden you face with it, with, it, with a different style um, of perhaps acting, or counting, or dancing, and so it's a great opportunity. And I just love going on stage. You know, I mean, I do roles like the father in Romeo and Juliet, so it's a wonderful, wonderful thing to do. I, I will be doing Doctor Coppelius in Coppelia. I am the Duke tonight in an hour. Um, <laughs> I am Dr. Drosser Meyer, be in the winter's dream as the the drunken doctor, um, and on and on.
0: Thank you, and it's, again, it's always a pleasure to know that um, all of those years you spent preparing to be a performer, you are now giving to the younger dancers and when a mature dancer appears on stage, the younger dancers have got to be absorbing your very presence. At least that's a sense that I have.
1: Well, it's but it's amazing to the um, the uh, amount of maturity that people at such a young, young age won't forget. But a truly a true talent, and we have many of these talents in the company. You know, at 17, um, take for instance Nicole Ciponi, You know, who's one of our youngest. Um, company members, He's just 17, out of the school and you know you meet these people on stage and you're acting and all of a sudden you feel the very, very, very strong presence and such a um, security and such a, such knowledge of how to behave yourself and on stage and it's really quite a pleasure to actually go on stage and meet them because then you develop a sense of knowing who they really are on stage and what are their strengths and weaknesses and then, then you can actually have a little bit more um, to the point conversations when you are coaching somebody, particularly when it comes to acting and stage presence, so that is that is a, a great opportunity that I do have and um, it's, it's, it, is, it is yes it is it is good that they also see you know how you 're acting, especially when it comes to pantomime, and they see you do uh, something that you 've done for so many years so um, it's important for them to see somebody already well-groomed.
0: Nice way to put it. Um, it's been a number of months since we were all together last, the beginning of last May, and I wondered if um, the company was up to anything fun between last May and when they started Netcracker. And uh, I know there was a little bit of a tour. Maybe you'd give us just a postcard from that tour to Denmark.
1: So we went to Denmark and we performed at the famous Tivoli Gardens. Um, It was really, really a joy. Um, The theater wasn't necessarily the best house that we played at, but um, nonetheless, we're delighted to be in the middle of summer and in the original Disney World. (laughs) um, Tivoli Gardens with all their games and, and rides and so we presented two different programs and um, it's always a pleasure to go back to Europe and show our faces and, and, and show them how it's done. Um, <laughs> um, and we had great, great audiences, directors from every country in the vicinity, they all came to see both of the programs. Um, our dancers felt very, very encouraged to be you know, performing for the summer because Denmark and in the park, you see I mean, the world is there playing, literally. So, you know, it was fantastic, you know, for a very international company, we were all speaking every language we knew, and on our breaks, or during rehearsal, when somebody else was off, it would actually, we had a studio that had windows like this, but it said, outside, you had this ride, so you'd be, <laughs> you'd be rehearsing, I don't know, uh, Helgi's Concerto Grosso with the six guys, and meanwhile, there's half of the company screaming out loud, <laughs> going down on the rides, and, <laughs> You know, and you come back, and you know, it's like, what have you been up to? What did you do for lunch? Oh, I, wrote, I went to this ride and this and that, and I saw this concert. And so it was really, really a wonderful vacation for all of us. And um, it's, it was really important to see how recreational and how it influenced the morale of the company. It was very uplifting. And, uh, and the company performed at a very, very, very high level. You know, we were very, very pleased.
0: If I'm not mistaken, that's a very old traditional theater there unless they have a new facility but doesn't that have a special place in Helgi Thomason's history?
1: Correct yeah Yeah. I mean he danced in Denmark um, being from Iceland then from Iceland went to Denmark and and he was also very very uh, uh, endearing I would say because we don't get to hear Helgi speak his native language and all of a sudden he's just going off speaking you know everywhere <laughs> you know, and you would hear his voice but you go wait a minute who's that and so and he would be talking to colleagues um, all you know all colleagues from, from uh, the royal uh, danish ballet or people that came to see him um, some of his um, people who danced to dance with so that was fun
0: that's great well <clears throat> before we launch into talking about the season to come which we're going to do in 2 minutes um, I thought it would be kind of interesting to just highlight the fact that I've learned that the San Francisco Ballet trainees, or the Ballet School trainee program, um, is off to France for a very special um, guest appearance in Cannes. Do you know about that? Can you give us a little detail about it? Um,
1: no, I'm actually not in charge of the train, trainee no. program. I know that they are going, and they're and. As a company um, ballet master or assistant to Helgi, um, there's a lot of big, a lot of coordinating, trying to permit time for them to um, to to rehearse their gig in France. Um, it's almost kind of impossible to keep up with the extra um, activity that um, anybody who has outside the company, because you know we're we're so fully booked. You know, 10 o'clock rehearsals until 5 or 6 o'clock and then you, know, then you have the show so, um, and they are all very involved say for instance Symphony in C right now in Giselle um, in many many productions so when I get them it's to make sure that they are understanding, learning their roles and being prepared to go on stage so yes I know that they're going uh, Patrick Armand will be the person to, uh, to elaborate on their, on their appearance in France but I'm very hype- happy Hi. for them
0: I think there is a bit of a press release, and I can quote from it to give you the correct information. They're uh, joining schools. I guess I should back up. Our trainee program are actually students, but they're very elite students in our ballet school who um, work together with very intensively. They do a lot of repertory study, and then they do perform in um, demonstrations and um, workshop performances around really all over the Bay Area uh, they are have been invited as the only company from the United States to join the Marseille Opera Ballet, the Paris Opera Ballet La Scala Ballet of Milan and Monaco's Académie de Danse de Princess Grace um, in this festival performance for um, elite students and it will be held um, in Cannes at the school founded by the late ballerina Rosella Hightower. I,
1: I hope I can get myself invited. This sounds good. <laughs>
0: um, this, they will be um, performing between March 1st and March 5th. And actually, they are, um, San Francisco Ballet's staff who oversee the trainees are um, a former Paris Opera dancer, Patrick Armand, and uh, the... Um, assistant director of the school, um, Lola Diabola, and they both trained with Rosella Hightower at one time. So this is going to be a wonderful experience. And yet again, the ballet world is so small, we all end up back where we started at some point. Yeah,
1: the, um, the um, trainee program um, actually uh, came about, about four years ago, if not five. And it has proven really, really to be a wonderful backup. And... Um, in preparation for the company. They do get a lot of um, repertory exposure, they pl- get to play from characters to real dancing roles um, and um, it gets an opportunity for them to show off their stuff and what they're made out of to um, to artistic director and um, you become familiar with them with the origins of their professional career and as important as it is to be considered for the company, is equally as important to have a good word and, and something you know about them when a different artistic director phones San Francisco to find out if these are people they should be hiring. So um, it's great opportunity for them and for us to, um, to have these dancers of the future being groomed.
0: So as we're about to turn to uh, the roster of the company this year, uh, any number of them, of the Court of Ballet and this year's apprentices, actually passed through the trainee program. So it seems to be a very successful enterprise. Let's turn on the slide, Cecilia. Um, one of the exciting things about looking at the new season is. Are we. Oh, I get it. <laughs> that was very clever. Um, is, I mean, exciting to me is to look at the promotions from within the company. And I know that most of us spend the season watching a favorite dancer and think, oh, that, that dancer must be ready to be a soloist or a principal. And sure enough, three promotions occurred right at the first of the year. First one being Courtney Elizabeth, who is now a soloist. She's been in the company for 12 years. years. And, uh, has been featured in
1: Corinne Elizabeth has danced every piece that we've <laughs> that we've done in the past 12 years Corinne Elizabeth is someone of, of of great intelligence and beautiful artistic abilities and she has Prepare herself for every single role she is just made out of some type of different stuff i mean <laughs> um, always reliable and um, and and very pliable to any type of style that that we have done so um, she 's done a fantastic job and when, he, when it comes to thinking you know who deserves a solo's promotion you know it's, it's her time has come and it 's just you know i couldn 't be happy for her and so and, and she is such a you know already made soloist you know
0: so she has definitely been featured by the guest choreographers I've observed for years so clearly the eye goes to her and richly deserved and then Isaac Hernandez who has been with the company not quite so long a few Um, years uh,
1: four years now Mm -hmm. I'm going to five
0: Mm -hmm. And he is a native of Mexico, but he has certainly studied and performed around the country. Yes. um, the United States.
1: American Ballet Theater, um, Second Company, and uh, uh, he's a man of fantastic, fantastic
0: talent. So we'll be seeing him in anything particular? In a lot of
1: stuff, yeah. You, Symphonic Variations, you, you, Mm. currently he's performing Pot in Giselle. Um, he is in Artifact Suite, he's in Chroma, he's in everything. So,
0: And Danielle devison Oliveira, who, we again, we've been watching him do featured roles for several years now. And
1: he's, uh, a, he's a real San Francisco Ballet um, um, court member who's now, you know, has proven himself to have enough weight on the repertoire that inevitably, you know, he is a soloist. Um, you mentioned something earlier, you know, um, Helgi does give the freedom to each choreographer to choose either from a principal soloist or core of the ballet category for them to decide who is in their, in their works. And, so, and these are people that are always chosen to learn and to, and to be created on. So. Um, and over the years you ac- accumulate this amount of, of repertoire. That you have, and so it's also very, very valuable f- for us um, to have people who spend, uh, who have a prominent career um, through time in, in our company, when it comes to scheduling and reviving works. You know, because um, having having danced the, the works, you know, they know it better than you do. So it is very, very important to uh, to you know to just t- trust and learn from their experience.
0: We have um, two uh, principal and soloists who are new to the company, and that's a little less regular for uh, Helgi to hire um, a dancer in as a principal. And so we have Artem, who some of us may have seen Saturday night do Giselle. Um, he is trained at the Bolshoi.
1: He's a dancer from the Bolshoi. Um, Artem, actually, I met uh, while I was working in in Amsterdam two years ago, um, and, uh, and then he returned to the Bolshoi. So we kept in touch, and he always expressed his desire to be in this company. And so, um, after several conversations with Helgi, he he thought, you know, he'd be a wonderful asset to the company. And so, and he's um, he's learning to change his ways. You know, a, a dancer from the Bolshoi. Uh, in Moscow is so different from somebody in san francisco so but um, the experience is very very welcome from from both sides because you know there 's always an element of finesse or an element of inspiration or an element of of a technical aspect of something that somebody brings with them that you kind of go oh i 've forgotten you know this is absolutely and then the obvious stuff that you 've got to say, okay well you, you know your timing and speed has got to you know get a little bit better. So it's a wonderful experience and he and should be a wonderful addition to our company.
0: One of the um, gifts he brings with him is the fact that he's six feet, two inches tall. <laughs> which it was just, uh, it's kind of amazing to see him on stage. And then um, new to the company as a soloist is Vito. Um, I was very impressed with his performance at the gala. Have we seen him yet in Giselle or...
1: Um, no, 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 no. Um, he will be performing in Symphony and in C, uh-huh. but Vito, yeah, Symphony and C um, in the next program. So, but Vito is uh, is Italian, and um, he was trained at Teatro La Scala in Milan. Um, he brings with him, you know, a, a wealth of, of Italian technique, you know, Chacetti and the, how the Italians dance. And um, his his, uh, his mentors have been Carla Fracci and you know, and, and the. Sure really important Italian people so he's got um, a lot going on for himself he not only has a wonderful technique but he, uh, he has such a sense of style so um, and he's also 6'2". <laughs> so
0: it will be fun to watch this during the season. So we've also uh, included photos of new members of the corps de ballet and I know Ricardo's also al- already referenced Nicole Um, I know Koto came through the trainee program, I believe. Um, And these are dancers who we just urge you to be on the lookout for because the stars of tomorrow are always among them. And then um, some more. Um, I I happen to know some of them are already rehearsing some second casts of of, uh, featured roles.
1: Yeah, it was kind of fascinating. Last year, uh, we had a lot of um, uh, you know, people retiring and then um, people leaving. So it was a, a rare um, situation where we actually had space for contracts. And uh, it was a, a really difficult um, selection process because um, dancers from all over the world. CVs and and you know and videos and you know you have to view their videos and the resume and consider and show Helgi and yes and no and yes and no back and forth how many have we said no how many have we said yes look at it go back to it go back to it go back to it what kind of repertoire are we doing next year you know what, how much you know if we invite them this da- this type of dancer you know will will can we actually use them you know will actually be dancing will they be happy in the company So there's a lot of aspects to hiring a dancer that you have to really take into account. And uh, we've made a wonderful selection. We'd be very, very happy with the 12 new dancers we have in the company.
0: And then we do have five apprentices. Um, The apprentice role is um, an interesting one. These dancers are officially in the company, uh, whereas the trainees are officially in the school. But the apprentice is still... um, still' just not quite quite fully a member of the court of ballet
1: right well you're you 're not long no longer attached to the com- to the school but you are you know um, knocking doors on the company you know you, you are um, used to um, almost as a company member, you get to learn all the roles and then you, know, you need to jump in and the, you know, at the spare of the moment. And then uh, you're also are waiting to see within a rehearsal period when all the works are being staged, whether um, they are being chosen and whether they have a possibility in the company on the following year when they are offer a contract, you know, are you a, a San Francisco Valley dancer yeah. or not? Um, it's fair to them, it's fair to us, it's a great opportunity to them, it's a great opportunity for us as well to get to know them, and then to count with with, you know, with um, dancers that have talent and to uh, be considered for a company.
0: So now I want to turn to the repertoire for the season, and of course we're probably going to want to whiz right through it with pauses over just a couple of things, because we do want to say a little more than a few words about okay. Giselle. But we have um, encores from last year include Classical Symphony, which is Yuri Posikov's amazing, amazingly physical work to the music of Prokofiev. Um, There's an awful lot that's up in the air in that piece, my recollection. (laughs) Uh, Or (laughs) on the floor. Um, And then the amazing theme and variations, which is... um, Balanchine in his tribute to Tchaikovsky and the Sleeping Beauty and the, the great classics, but it's definitely Balanchine. Um, all the imperial grandeur. We have um, a reprisal of Christopher Wilden's premiere from last year, Ghosts, which was such a hauntingly beautiful piece. Um, fascinating set pieces, fascinating music, and another one of Christopher Wheeldon's gorgeous pas de deux. Um Renato Zanella, who was pretty new to the company, I believe, as a choreographer. Um, that little piece that was done on the gala is just another. The pizzicato was also Zanella, and his piece was. Um, Here's uh, Katita Waldo, who retired at the end of last year and is now up to her eyeballs as a ballet mas- master. Um, one of the last things she was able to dance. This was a very dramatic piece. Um, then, uh, wonderful, we have the reprisal of um, Patrushka, the historic picture with Nijinsky and our own Pascal. Um, that will be... I think it's always good to take a work like this and see it the second year. It mellows. The company mellows into their interpretations. And then those of you who saw it last year and loved it get to see it again this year. And those of you who um, told all your friends about it get to bring them this year. Um, I know people who saw it two or three times last year. I don't think I've ever experienced a work in a ballet repertory season with as many people who told me that they were so blown away they had to come back. So we get to see that again. Um, And that closes the season, sort of bookends with Giselle. This is what we would call... um, a revival. Um, we're into the category of revivals now, and I'm very excited that we're reviving this work. Uh, Symphonic Variations, created by Ashton in 1946, and um, it's it's an amazing piece because Ashton's most familiar, most comfortable genre is drama and storytelling and characterization. And this was a kind of a an essay in what we in the United States, being trained by Balanchine, would call neoclassicism. I don't know that it's ever been applied to this, um, but it's a lovely piece to the Franck music, and it's it's just dance. It's pure dance, which is not typical for Ashton. Um, next week for this Points of View program, my guest will be um, well, my guests will be Martin West and. Uh, Bruce, your sidekick, um, arti- uh, another as- assistant to the artistic director. Um, Bruce being English, Bruce having cut his teeth on Frederick Ashton.
1: And having danced um, the, the piece.
0: Oh, he did. Oh, wonderful. Okay, so we've got that to look forward to next week when we are going to be focusing on Program 2, which is where we'll see um, symphonic variations. Um, It's paired, interestingly, I think this is fascinating programming. Would love to have been a fly on the wall when this was being planned. Uh, With Balanchine Symphony in C. Which is the penultimate neoclassical uh, Balanchine full company piece. Shows off our dancers. Just a stage full of them. And four ballerinas, eight demi-solo couples. Um, We're going to have a revival of Helgi's dramatic piece, uh, Nana's Lead, which he did um, almost 20 years ago. And it's been interesting to watch different dancers succeed through the casts of Nana's Lead. Um, um, Artifact Suite, which is always calculated to get everybody's heart pounding and blood pressure thumping. It's quite a fascinating piece. I'm really excited that we 're redoing that
1: so it 's always the company
0: is it, it must be exciting to dance
1: yeah there 's a there 's a, a great joy to uh, to be able to repeat a work because no, no matter how much you 're told um, about the piece you, the type of information you get by experiencing experience in the piece have you know after the performances there 's a wealthness of of you know, of something that you just don't buy, you've got to go through it. So, and then when you revive the work, um, you can take your performance to a Duke Hall of the level, and you can talk um, at an other level with the choreographer, whoever staged it, and the discussions are are wonderful because you you know the possibilities and the dos and don'ts and the go ahead and just let yourself lose type of conversation. So it's it's great, and then. Um, on staging a work and understanding a work there's so much counting all the time because accuracy has to be accomplished before artistry you know? so you have to really make sure that the choreography is exactly in the musicality and the steps and how, it, you know, how the choreography is intended so when you revive the piece it's already in, in, in your blood it's already in your muscles so you, know, you stop thinking about numbers and, you've, and you really outperform yourself
0: And this one has a lot of numbers in it. (laughs) And I'm in charge of it. (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) Together with Betsy Erickson. (laughs) Um, I'm delighted that we're bringing back Helgi's Seven for Eight. A very lyrical, very lovely piece. He's just taken, what, eight of his dancers, four couples, I think. And um, it's just he's made them look as beautiful as he could make them look. And the music is Bach. It's easy, sort of if I can say that easy to listen to it's
1: brilliant interesting and very very musical and just a joy to watch Um,
0: and now we have the San Francisco Ballet premieres Um, this one is going to be so interesting it's um, choreographed by um, Sir Kenneth MacMillan, who was long associated with the Royal Ballet of England and some other companies in Europe Um,
1: American Ballet Theatre
0: that's right, that's right, years at American Valley Theater. And you worked with him there, y- is that Yeah, right? I was on yeah.
1: their um, their directorship, mm-hmm. Varishnikov, and then mm-hmm. him as mm-hmm. a, as a um, resident choreographer. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And it's a very dramatic piece um, based on, uh, I believe it's a Chekhov story. It's, um, it gives the dancers a chance to just do something different.
1: Uh, and um and, and for us to enjoy the English repertoire, you know the story of the, the story of the three sisters um and it 's the, the narrative in the ballet is is such perfection it 's sort of like turning a page that not only has um you know the words in it but but the images and you go from one one page to the other and and you get very involved um in the um atmosphere of the play, and it 's all very 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 proper, not. Not, it's very dramatic but without showing too much emotion, very contained um, and every single uh, character within the work, it's so finely tuned to, to who they're really supposed to be in it so um, it's, it's, a, it's, it's going to be a jewel for the company to be able to perform this
0: and that will be on program four so we'll obviously be talking about that more as the season goes by Um, On program six, we have a San Francisco premiere of Chroma by Wayne McGregor. Um, Wayne McGregor is familiar to us from two or three years ago, and we did his piece Eden, Eden, which was, I think, pretty well received by San Francisco ballet audiences. It was a very unusual piece. It's uh, challenging for both audience and dancer. Shocking. A little bit shocking. (laughs) A little bit. I think our audience is up to it. Um. Uh, but,
1: but Chroma Chroma um, was originally choreographed for the Royal Ballet, um, and okay. it has um, been awarded all kinds of awards. Um, and and uh, Wayne has actually really outdone himself. is a is a, a piece of extraordinary uh, beauty and a very uh, modern, contemporary way. Uh, with, um, with the dancing being almost inside out, you you will look at it and you won't um, understand what's going on, um, except that you be mesmerized. But the, the the physical possibilities, where he, where he takes the dancers and the use of the music, um, and um, I, I'm I'm very very excited about it. I mean, I just I'm also ballet master to to chroma and. Uh, it was impossible to notate because the, the movement is so original and so bizarre. It doesn't have a no, a no, a no ballet positions that are known to us. You go through it and there are kind of like step points, but, but it's pure movement and it's aggressive and it's melodic and it's rhythmical and it is postmodern. We haven't seen dance like this in our repertoire. So, this is going to be a real, real um, treat.
0: Um, Harking back to my referencing the blog on uh, Studio 455 on the website, uh, uh, Jim Sofranco blogged about dancing, uh, doing the rehearsals during the creation of, or, or the staging of. And it was really well done. It's a very, very well done sort of step by step going into the studio every day and how difficult and challenging and then ultimately rewarding it was to learn. So go uh, look in the archive for that blog by James Safranco. Um So that's on program six, and we'll really look forward. I'm, I'm very hopeful that we will have some of the dancers who were involved in it here for our discussions. Well, so then this is kind of the big one for the year, and that is San Francisco Ballet's premiere of Coppelia, which is the great historic classic favorite, and in the version that we will be doing here, um, the version that was staged by George Balanchine with Alexandra Danilova for, for the New York City Ballet, and in 1974, the role of... Swanilda was taken by Patricia McBride, and the role of France was created by Helgi Thomason. So, needless to say, it's going to be a very personal and exciting premiere when we get to that in toward the end of March. I want to call your attention to our uh, Points of View program. That is the one this year where we all move downstairs to the Herbst Theater, and the host and guest, I should say, that night will be... Um, a dance historian, uh, Doug Fullington, who is um, an interesting historian and actually works at Pacific Northwest Ballet in Seattle where he um, has done some amazing things including he has reconstructed dances from notes in the past. He's a fluent reader of what's called Stepanov notation, which is pretty esoteric. And um, a revival of an old pettipa ballet called The Daughter of the Pharaoh. He, revi- he contributed to reviving it in, at the Bolshoi. And also um, part of the uh, Le Corsaire. There's a movement called Le Jardin Anime. And he reconstructed that from Stepanov notes. So it's, it's, he's a fascinating and very um, well-regarded historian. So I know you'll be anxious to hear him. Um, here with us, and then on um, Thursday, March 24th, the next night, he will be over at Coret Auditorium in the Library doing another lecture. and um, So I'm hopeful that you'll all be on board for those things. That's kind of takes us through Capelia, and of course we'll be spending a lot of time with it, so we won't spend any more time with it tonight, except to say, I can hardly wait to see you as Dr. Coppelia's. Um Here are just some those are just the great shots from studio shots from our production. Beautiful new uh, production, costumes and sets that will be just so much fun. And uh, it's no secret Vanessa Zahorian in the center will be one of the Swanhildas. So then we have some world premieres this year. Yuri Posikoff is doing a piece um, to a commission score by Shinji Ishima, who is actually a member of our own ballet orchestra and I think that will be a fascinating work. Yuri's pieces are always fascinating.
1: Here's... us tomorrow.
0: Is it really that soon? Okay, on program two, uh, we have that, and I won't even say, is it ready? It probably is.
1: It's very ready.
0: Okay, good. Um, and then down the road on program four, Helgi Thomason has created a work to the uh, music of Tchaikovsky. I'm fascinated, it's an all-Tchaikovsky evening. Was that intentional?
1: That was intentional. Yes. Yeah. That's going to be a fantastic wealth of of, of music. Uh, it's Winter Dreams, it's Theme and Variations, and then of course uh, Helgís New Trio.
0: And the music is a, it's a chamber piece. It's not a full orchestra piece for trio, so that should yeah, provide some a, contrast for us.
1: Souvenir the Florence.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's, it's, mu- it's it's, it's uh, composed in three different sections, uh, very different styles. Mm-hmm. So it should be very, very interesting. And uh, Tchaikovsky began to um, compose it in, in Florence, but it doesn't sound Italian as music. And he, uh, he finished it uh, once he went back to Russia.
0: And then finally we have on, um, what is it, Program 7, is um, Christopher Wheeldon's newest work for our company, to music by Michael Torkey. Um, looks like it's going to be another... Wielden masterpiece.
1: Another uh, Wielden stunning ballet.
0: And it looks like he's used a larger number of dancers. So finally, here we are at Giselle. Um, Giselle is one of the most important. Of the classic repertoire, our company has done it since 1999, when Helgi mounted his version of it. Um, we have pictures here: this Yuan Yuan with Teet Helimetz in the first act, Vanessa Zahorian in the second act. Um, of the things that I would like to ask you to comment on in the 10 minutes or so we have remaining, um, this is a piece that it's considered worth reviving we just revive it Uh, one of the reasons given is how important it is for the ballerinas in your company Um, say a couple words about the difficulty the challenge the triumph of mastering the role and then i think we have a video clip to show the folks
1: well, um, Giselle uh, remains one of the tour de force for a dancer, for a ballerina in particular. For that who, the, that who plays Giselle, um, first act as being as, as the youth, and um, falling in love, and, and going through betrayal, and um, being a, a young lady with a faint heart, um, and kind of finding. Life in the hard way and in dying, and in the second act, coming back as a spirit. Uh, there are two very, very difficult transitions um, to be so vibrant and so alive and so beautiful in the first, and so 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 much a human, and then on the second act to to become the spirit and to try to convey technically and stylistically. The idea of, of a willy, um, and not in the physicality of of this very demanding, technically difficult uh, second act, to to become this this very light, um, almost levitating uh, dancer. Um, the whole idea of of becoming a a ghost-like creature is a very difficult effect to have, which requires a lot of um, concentration and a lot of dominion over your own, your own technique. Um, in the first act you could be such person and express yourself and have a very loud voice if you like um, when you are saying things. On the second act you have to be very very it has to be all very very internal and show the, the classical technique on, on his, all of its purity. Which is what we trained for every single day and over the years to be to be uh, classically pure, meaning lines lines that are that are not interrupted by, by uh, by odd shapes or or liberties like we now take in contemporary dance of moving your torso and breathing in any way you like. This is all very very um, very much contained. Um, the footwork for the ballerina on the second act is something you should really watch for when you when you watch the second act because of the extraordinary difficulty, particularly because it doesn't have the f- normal physicality that one has when you go on point. It's a very weight-bearing effect to get onto your point. And the use of the calves and the use of, of the metatarsal point on, in Giselle, it has to be rolling through your metatarsal to climb over your toes. In Sleeping Beauty, for instance, you can do anything that is kind of like a, an abrupt movement to be very quick on your foot. And it it's a lot easier to, to have that kind of timing for the footwork than it is for for it, for it you, for instance, if you lean on a wall and you try to do the heel, you know, the toe raises, and then from the, from the demi point and then to push onto your toes and that is something that you you watch for those many who do Giselle the footwork how beautiful was it how quiet was it how how um, unreal how uh, you convey the idea of actually levitating while you are actually standing on stage turning standing um, you also have to be so lyrical you have to um, make sure that the movement doesn't stop, that the, that the breathing doesn't stop, yet you have to be so still. In the beginning of the second act, Albrecht comes in, you know, with all his pain, having betrayed Giselle and causing for her death, and then he comes to, to his, uh, to her tomb, to uh, to try to find consolence and to be forgiven, and she appears, true love, comes and defends Albrecht warns him of, you know, to be wary because he is now in the land of the willies. And if he were to fall in the, in the circle of power of the willies, he would will be doomed, he would be made dance until he dies, or if he can make it to the morning, then he will survive. That's, a, that's already a very, very wide range idea to try to choreograph through and to survive through a tour de force in every way, where the acting is nonstop, where the where the interpretation stylistically of being a Willie being the spirit for her, com- continually being so soft, and for him to um, to to dance, you know, so you know, an entire act, it's quite difficult. And then every Giselle has.
0: We just want to make sure we have time. Please. sorry.
1: and then every Giselle has the. The mat scene, which is also a a, a pretty pretty amazing um, scene, you know, uh, and to see how dif- how differently everybody interprets this mad scene, so it's it's quite quite the challenge, and it is wonderful to see how generation after generation, and um, you know, we find so many interpreters and what they bring to every single time we do it.
0: Sorry, that's not... it's all, well, it was all wonderful to hear, but we do want to see. This is.
1: is wrong that's Maria Cochicola in the mad scene
0: short little clip um it was so interesting to see um yuan yuan on saturday night so different that much but just very different so it's the interpretation okay we've saved just enough time to talk about um my leading question was going to be choreographers ballet directors ballet masters have recreated giselle have restaged it I don't know how you want to say it, since it was done in 19, 1841. You did your own production just a couple of years ago. We do have a clip from it. Do you want to set us up?
1: Well, I was invited by the head national ballet in Amsterdam to come and do the version of, of Giselle. They've had Sir, uh, Sir Peter Wright's version for 35 years, and they felt it was time to have a, a new vision into what, you know, what the production should look like. So I was very, very lucky to, um, to have um, gotten Tour van Schaik as a designer, who is a fantastic Dutch designer. And, um, and I collaborated with uh, Ra- Ra- Rachelle um in this production, and um, I couldn't have uh, loved the experience more. And it was filmed um, on Blu-ray and high-definition, and uh, Warner Brothers loved the production and the whole making of Giselle. They filmed us for three weeks, and um, so you can actually find the video on Amazon. Under Bustamante, Giselle, um, Dutch National Ballet. Um, This scene that we're gonna see, I think, this is the very beginning. ramp in the back where
0: Oh, I love the long veils that they're wearing they just look, and their, their skirts seem even longer. And I've, and
1: I've also, it is customary to have a three-quarter-length tutu. And I thought, because of the of the line, that is extended by a little bit more material. All I was interested on is to have the tutu go all the way down, so that we have we only see the ankles. So that when you bure, which is the movement that you cross your feet and you glide across the floor, it would it would it would have more movement over the skirt. But then you don't see the physicality of how that that person is carrying across. So um, just like you know, every time you reconstruct a work, you know you can um, have your own ideas, and um, it was fun to do. It's, it's coming back to their rep. I got the phone call yesterday, um, <laughs> next year, for, for the spring season.
0: And be sure to look on Amazon for that film. <laughs> we wish that we could go on for another half hour. It is absolutely marvelous to hear you talk about all of the, the repertoire, the dancers, the, the philosophy of rehearsal and performance. It's been just wonderful, Ricardo. Thank you, Mary. I'm going to um, sign off by saying be sure that you go back to the website and check for um, these podcasts of these interviews and programs. I'm looking forward to seeing everyone here next Wednesday night for Program 2, and I'm so thanking Ricardo Bustamante for this evening's (laughs) program.